I'm going to be late, Eliane said despairingly to Yolande, who at age five cared not a bit about Eliane's obligations. In fact, it was obvious from Yolande's clenched fists that a tantrum was bearing down upon all the Dufours, and unless Eliane could find something other than a stale knob of bread for breakfast, Yolande would erupt, and Eliane would miss her morning lecture at art school. We are all hungry. Angelique, the next oldest after Eliane, snapped at Yolande. Eliane stared around at the grim and silent faces of her sisters. Twelve-year-old Jacqueline's beseeching eyes were fixed on Eliane, willing her to calm both Yolande's histrionics and Angelique's temper. Jeanette, eight, was yawning, having been woken by the fracas of raised voices. She was going to be late, but it wasn't her sister's fault that their parents threw every available franc, including all of Eliane's pay, into their moribund brasserie, and thus there was no food in the house. She whirled around, and despite the almost physical pain she felt at even contemplating it, she gathered all of her sable paintbrushes, threw them into a bag, and said in a firm but loving voice to Yolande, I promise you'll have a croissant for breakfast tomorrow, but only if you get dressed for school and let Angelique do your hair. Yolande jumped up from her teary puddle on the floor, her blonde hair bouncing like her revived spirits as she threw herself at Eliane. Merci, she whispered, head buried in Eliane's skirt. I love you, Eliane said, stroking her sister's hair. Then, while Angelique was occupied with helping Jeanette find her shoes, she spoke in Yolande's ear. Angelique is scared. It's her first year of looking after you. Help her. Then she'll see that she doesn't have to worry about you so much. And to Angelique, as she kissed her goodbye, Eliane explained, Yolande just wants to be loved. Hug her. Then she'll behave. It had only been six months since Angelique's 15th birthday. Her present had been to take over from Eliane the so-called privilege of getting the children ready for school, of bringing them home at the end of the day, collecting leftovers from the brasserie for dinner, feeding everyone, and putting them to bed. Yolande and Angelique were each still chafing against the absence of Eliane, who now spent those hours at work. Luckily, Jeanette and Jacqueline needed only a hug and a kiss, and Eliane was able to leave, clattering around and around the whirling spiral of stairs from their third-floor apartment to the Galerie Vérodaudin, a formerly resplendent Belle Époque Passage Couvert, below. It was lined with once grand, but now mostly empty, mahogany shop facades, separated by chipped marble columns and still gleeful cherubs, despite the fact that most were missing at least a toe, if not an entire leg. The dank odor of stale coffee emanating from her parents' brasserie settled around the globes of the old gas lamps, causing any patrons foolish enough to venture into the galerie to flee with their taste buds unsullied. Once out on the street, she continued on to the Musée du Louvre, where she would study and work, unshackled from her sisters, the journey made her feel both the lightness of relief and the heaviness of loss, as all the hugs and kisses and tiny affections were now Angelique's. Eliane hoped her sister treasured those affections the way she ought to. At the Aile de Flore, the wing of the Louvre that stretched along the river, Eliane ran straight up to the École du Louvre. She took her seat in the lecture theatre, looking over the rows of students for her brother Luke, 
But while Luke's soul was devoted to art, his body worshipped at the cafés of Montparnasse, and he was absent again. Monsieur Bellamy began to speak about Italian Renaissance painters, and Eliane concentrated on long-haired and voluptuous women, on cherubs with all of their body parts intact, and on a chiaroscuro of religious chastisements. At lunchtime, she left the building, never able to attend afternoon classes as her family needed the money she made from her work. Before she entered the museum proper and sat in her seat at the front desk, ready to direct patrons to the Venus de Milo and the Mona Lisa, she went to see Monsieur Jojard, the director of the Musée National. He had allowed her to continue at the École despite the fact that she could neither pay for her tuition nor spend a full day there.